And thank you so much, musicians. My name is Stephen Farish. It's my privilege to be one of many teachers here at the Moody Church, but to have the privilege that uh, Pastor Philip has accorded me of bringing the word of the Lord to you today. I invite you to open to Psalm 27. If you use the Bible that's in the seat in front of you, that will be on page 460. Psalm 27, we'll be reading in a second, verses 1 through 6 of that Psalm of King David. Now, I'm well aware, as you are, as we come together this morning, our minds can potentially be full, of course, of lots of distractions. There's the Omicron variant that's ravaging the country. There's the New Year's Day snowstorm we experienced yesterday. But my prayer has been that it would please God this morning to rivet, to rivet our attention on one thing. And you'll see as we read Psalm 27 why I say rivet our attention on one thing, one thing. Hear the word of the Lord as we read together. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. May I submit for your consideration a resolution for the year 2022. A resolution as follows, namely, that by the grace of God, by the grace of God, I would passionately seek God, passionately seek God, in order to know him better and love him more than I did in 2021. Let me make it stronger than that. I think this passage moves us 
to say, Lord, would you grant me the grace that in 2022, I might passionately seek you, that I might know you better, and that I might love you more with all the overflowing consequences that love brings to my life. I submit this resolution to you for your consideration because of this psalm that we just read together and David's conviction that he expresses, especially in verse four. Verse four will be our main focus this morning, but first let's see briefly its context. Notice in verse one that David very memorably, you probably, if you're familiar with the scriptures, know verse one well, describes the Lord as my light and my salvation and my stronghold. Observant Jews during the 10 days from Rosh Hashanah, New Year to Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, Observant Jews every year recite Psalm 27 to themselves every day during what they call that period of awe, mainly because of these descriptions of God, my light, my salvation, my stronghold. These descriptions alone deserve an entire sermon, but we simply have to leave them there this morning and see that because God, David has experienced God as his light and his salvation and his stronghold, two things are true. Number one, when evildoers, verse two, when evildoers have assailed him, David has found that it is they rather than he who stumble and fall because the Lord has been his light and his salvation and his stronghold. So much so that David writes in verse three, even if an entire army were to encamp against me, I would be confident, confident in the Lord who is my light and my salvation and my stronghold. But then there's a shift in verse four. Precisely because David has experienced the Lord to be his light and has his salvation and his stronghold. Brothers and sisters in Christ, have you experienced God to be your light and your salvation and your stronghold? That experience causes David to want to come into the Lord's presence. Notice verse four again. One thing, one thing have I asked of the Lord. Suppose that you were walking down a path one day when you saw to the side of the path an old, discarded, beaten up, Arabian style lamp. You know the rest of the story. You take the lamp, you begin to clean it up, and out pops a genie. And the genie says, I'll grant you one wish with one condition. Your one wish cannot be for more wishes. Ask yourself, if that actually were to happen to you, what would be the one thing you would wish for? 
on this, the second day of the new year, what desire is uppermost in your affections? If you were in David's shoes, how would you finish the sentence he starts in verse four? One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. How would you fill in the blank? Notice what David writes. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. What does that mean? In David's Jewish world, the house of the Lord was where the presence of the Lord especially dwelt. Now, David understood God is omnipresent. He is present in all points of space. But he is not present in all points of space in exactly the same way. And God had caused his presence to dwell in a special way in the Jewish house of worship. So that in the Jewish mind, to go and to be in that house of worship was to be immediately in the presence of the Lord. And David says, that's my passion. That's what I long for. I want God. I want his presence. I want to be there forever. And this is no one-off statement by King David earlier was sung parts of Psalm 23. Do you remember how it ends? Surely the goodness and mercy of the Lord will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The same expression. Psalm 16, verse 11, where David writes to God, in your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Or consider the words of Psalm 63, verses one through three, where David says this longing for God was almost physical to him. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, in your house, beholding your power and your glory because your steadfast love is better than life my lips will praise you. If you're married, think back to that time very shortly after you met the person who is now your spouse, when you began noticeably in your own heart to fall in love with that person. Do you remember how there was an ache in your heart to be in that other person's presence. Do you remember that? An ache, the deepest possible 
longing for the presence of that person because you loved that person so much. David says, God, my heart aches to be in your presence. Why? To do what in the presence of the Lord? Look at the rest of the verse. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now the second of those is no surprise. To inquire in his temple, to seek the Lord's wisdom. David was the king of Israel. He needed the Lord's wisdom. No surprise there. But what about this desire to be in the presence of the Lord, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Have you ever thought of God as being beautiful? Sunrises over Lake Michigan can be beautiful. The Grand Canyon is beautiful. Some art is beautiful. Some music, all music played at the Moody Church, <laughs> is beautiful. Some people are spiritually beautiful. Some plays in football are beautiful. Have you ever wondered, God, why did you sow beauty here and there in your creation? Answer, beauty is a distant of God himself. When the sunrise over Lake Michigan is beautiful, think this is an echo of the beauty of the Lord. When you're at the Art Institute and you see a work that takes your breath away, think this is an echo of the beauty of the Lord. God is a beautiful God. David wanted to be in his presence, to see his beauty. How do you see the beauty of God? Not with physical eyes. With what Ephesians 3.18 calls the eyes of the heart. And at least for now, it will be different when we get to heaven, thanks be to God. But for now, we see God's spiritual beauty, his excellence, his worth. I want to ask in just the next few minutes three questions about the beauty of God of which David speaks in Psalm 27.4. Number one, what is it? Number two, where do we go to find it? Number three, what is the right human response to God's revelation of his beauty? Number one, what is it? It is a spiritual excellence 
a spiritual worth. It is the glory of God that we apprehend not with our physical eyes, not in this world, but rather with the eyes of our heart. In the following, the format comes from the Christian pastor and writer John Piper. The content is from Holy Scripture. Consider. Consider the beauty of God's triunity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, eternally subsisting together in an overflowing relationship of joy and delight and love. Or consider the beauty of God's independence, the reality that God needs nothing outside of himself. As the Apostle Paul puts it in Acts 17, he is not served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Or consider the beauty of God's immutability, God's changelessness. God does not change in his being or his character or his purposes or his will. He told his people in Malachi, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Consider the beauty of the eternity of God, the God who simply is and always has been, the God who declared himself to Moses simply to be, I am, who says in the book of Revelation, I was and I am and I simply always will be, who says in Isaiah 57, 15, I inhabit eternity. I live in timeless eternity or consider the beauty of the wisdom of God that caused even the apostle Paul in Romans 11, 33, 34 to fall on his knees and cry out, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or consider the beauty of God's providence, his utter freedom to dispose of all of he has, that he has created according to his perfect will from the galaxies to the nations to the hairs on our heads to the toss of a die. God disposes all things as the Bible puts it in Psalm 113 verse 5. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Or as the apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians 1 and 11, our God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Or consider the beauty of God's holiness that when the seraphim in Isaiah 6 sang before the prophet Isaiah, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth 
is full of his glory. The thresholds of the temple shook and the prophet Isaiah fell on his face in terror before this one who is utterly morally pure and alone set apart as God or consider the beauty of the wrath of God so pure yet so terrible that Revelation 6 says one day when it is fully revealed those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ will call for mountains and rocks to fall on them that they may be protected protected from the holy wrath of God or consider the beauty of the grace of God that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet the enemies of God, while we were yet dead in our trespasses and sins, God incarnate in the Lord Jesus Christ came and died on the cross to pay for the penalty, the penalty for the sins of sinners in order to redeem us for a relationship with with the living God or consider the love of God that moved God to come in the person of Jesus Christ and to live a life of poverty and rejection and to give that life on the cross suffering there the just wrath of God against the sins of sinners that he might save a people for the glory of God and for our, our eternal and everlasting joy in God. The God of the Christian scriptures, the God of the Bible, is a beautiful God. He is a beautiful God. And David said, I want to be in the presence of that God. I want to see his beauty. So question number two, where do we see the beauty of God most clearly revealed today. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 gives the answer. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory, the beauty of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul's saying. Just as in the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light. So God in his grace stands over the minds of Christians, of those who are his children in Jesus Christ. And he says, let there be light. And the light that our minds apprehend is the beauty of God, the glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ is revealed the fullness of the beauty of God. And when we desire God's presence, to gaze upon his beauty as David did. We come to God's presence in this book as it reveals to us the Lord Jesus Christ on every page from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. And we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus, but only 
as God turns the light on in our minds. That's how we apprehend it. John Piper has written in his wonderful little book, Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ, Jesus, as he is revealed in the Bible, has a glory, an excellence, a spiritual beauty that can be seen as self-evidently true. It is like seeing the sun and knowing that it is light and not dark, or like tasting honey and knowing that it is sweet and not sour. There is no long chain of reasoning from premises to conclusion. There is a direct apprehension that this person is true and his glory is the glory of God. So we have seen the beauty of God described to us. Where do we find that beauty revealed most clearly? In the person of Jesus Christ revealed to us in the pages of Holy Scripture. So what then is the right response when God reveals his beauty to us? How is it that the Christian heart, the heart of the child of God, how should we respond? Look at verse 6 of our passage where David writes, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Now let me be clear, the Christian life is not only a life of joy. God ordains for every Christian life suffering. Some Christian lives, a lot of suffering. And yet, even in the midst of that suffering, God has so designed the universe that we can still see his beauty in the person of Jesus Christ. And we can still find joy as the Apostle Paul did in prison in Acts 16. Notice three things in this phrase, I will offer in his tent sacrifices with joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Number one, there is joy. Number two, there is a verbal expression of that joy. C.S. Lewis wrote in his wonderful little book, Reflections on the Psalms, that when we see the beauty of God revealed to us, we enjoy that beauty. There is an enjoyment that comes with it. But that joy is not consummated until there is an expression of praise back to God. Maybe God would have you do this in your prayer time more frequently in 2022. Cause your mind, as you read scripture, cause your mind to focus on the beauty of God revealed there. And as God's beauty is revealed to you, ask the Holy Spirit to give you a relish for it. God has to give you taste, spiritual taste buds for his beauty. I didn't know I liked garlic and onion until I was in my 30s. God had to give me taste buds for garlic and onions. In the same way, God has to develop our taste buds, our spiritual taste buds for his beauty. Ask God to give you spiritual taste buds to enjoy his beauty. 
and then respond with praise, with David calls it shouts of joy, singing and making melody. In the local Christian school where I teach, I walk through the halls and I sing hymns. I sing terrible. But it's a joyful noise to the Lord because it's heartfelt. It's my response to God's revelation of his beauty. But then there's sacrifice. David meant an animal sacrifice, but that animal sacrifice, among many other things, simply stood in for David himself. By offering that animal sacrifice, David was saying, again, among many other things, Lord, this is me. I'm offering up to you all I am and all I have. That's why Paul says in Romans 12:1, offer your bodies a living sacrifice to God. This is your spiritual worship. So we have the enjoyment of God's beauty. We have the praise in that enjoyment of God's beauty, the praise that consummates the enjoyment. And then we have the response of offering our lives as sacrifices to that beautiful God that he may use all we are and all we have for the glory of his name. So as we close this portion of the service this morning, how does one enter into an experience like the one that David describes? How does a person grow to the point where you want, you ache for, ache for the presence of the Lord to gaze upon his beauty, among other things, but to gaze upon his beauty, that you might see it and enjoy it and praise it and then offer your life in response to it. If you're here today or you're online and you're apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, hear what the scriptures say. Acknowledge, number one, that you're a sinner without hope in this world apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. But then rejoice that God in that love and that grace that we spoke about just a few minutes ago came in the person of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, to live the life without sin you cannot live, to die on the cross to pay the penalty for the sins of sinners, and to rise again from the dead on the third day so that Jesus Christ is now alive to give grace to all who would ask for it. And so if you're apart from Christ, ask Jesus for the grace, the grace to do what? The grace to trust in him alone, to save you from sins, to give you eternal life, and to become the Lord of your life. Plead with the Lord Jesus Christ for that grace, and he will respond and you will be saved by that grace alone. And then finally, if you're here today and you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, why does this sermon matter? Why does it matter that David 3,000 years ago expressed a desire to be in the presence of the Lord, to gaze upon his beauty in a world filled with COVID and a thousand other problems, 
What difference does the beauty of the Lord make, practically speaking, in our everyday lives? May I submit to you, it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. God is a beautiful God. And when we see that beauty and when we respond to that beauty, we are caught up into it. And you and I, brothers and sisters, were created for the glory of God. And do you remember the old catechism? What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Like many others, let me just put those together. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Because as you enjoy God, and that enjoyment overflows in praise and in the response of your life given back to God for His purposes, you will show the world that God is the treasure hidden in the field, that God is the pearl of great price. Let's pray. Father, we beseech you because we are your children, that you would help us to know, just begin, Lord, to taste what David expresses in Psalm 27, 4, when he says, I ache for God's presence that I might see his beauty. Grant, God, that we would have a desire for your presence, that we would see your beauty, and that we would respond in joy with praise and the offering up of our lives to you. And grant, God, that we might see your beauty in this ordinance which we're about to observe together in the Lord's Supper. Grant that we would see the beauty of Christ sacrificed for our sakes and that our response would be praise and the offering up of our lives to you, God, we pray. For the glory of your name, in the name of Christ, amen.